Welcome back to another episode of Room 2250, the University of Toronto's Student Life Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Melvi, and unfortunately, Najee won't be able to join me in hosting today, but the show must go on, so I'm here to kick off another super exciting semester with this week's guest. The Varsity Newspaper is a not-for-profit student-run newspaper that has been around since 1880. The Varsity is the only tri-campus news publication at the University of Toronto, and they write about student politics, arts, science, sports, business, and everything else in between. But for U of T students, the Varsity really needs no introduction as it is always putting out relevant and sometimes breaking content about the university. Joining us today, we have the spearhead of the whole operation, Editor-in-Chief Jack Denton. How are you, Jack? I'm doing great. I mean, it's been a pretty crazy couple of days, I guess, for context. We're sort of a day out of Doug Ford's pretty drastic uh, announcement about changes to post-secondary education, but uh, I'm really excited to be here. Um, and. Uh, yeah, like happy, happy to answer some questions and sort of speak with you. Yeah, for sure. So just to get started, um, how did you get started as a journalist and what was your journey like with the varsity to becoming editor in chief? Yeah, so I didn't come into university thinking that I wanted to be a journalist, but certainly my experience with the varsity has changed that. And now, um, you know, only sort of affirmed that that, that is uh, what I want to do. Um, pretty dramatic story of how I got started uh, writing for the varsity. Like I'm like no no exaggeration. The first few weeks uh, of university, I lived. Uh, I was living in my first year in a residence, Whitney Hall, okay. uh, just across from Robarts, and there were uh, incidents of voyeurism. Um, so there was a uh, presumably a, a guy filming. Uh, young women in the showers in the washrooms of our residence building. Oh my god! This was like on my floor. Okay. Um, you know, female friends of mine like you know, were uncomfortable, you know, taking a shower. Like it was a crazy, crazy thing to have happen in the first couple of weeks of university. And shortly, you know, around, like around this time, uh, the varsity had its fall open house. So I went to the fall open house, sort of had an interest in writing for the campus newspaper. And I talked to the news editor and I was like, hey, you know, <laughs> this thing's happening at my residence building. And I got assigned the story. Uh, and it made the front page on Monday. So, like oh, wow. you know, like a month into university, I got a piece on the front page. I was like, mm -hmm. okay, this this is easy. I can <laughs> I can do this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that was the beginning of catching the bug, uh, which is a pretty typical, I think, uh, pretty typical for a lot of student journalists. You know, you you write one big story, or you know, you really like feel the rush of seeing your name in print, and you're like, ah, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. I want to keep doing that. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I just sort of got more involved from there. I was a staff writer in my first year. I was an associate news editor in my second year, and I really sort of cut my teeth uh, reporting on uh, Jordan Peterson, the debate around free speech on campus, right. um, which was a big part of what I did in second year. I was the news editor in third year and decided I'm, I might as well run to be editor-in-chief, so here I am. Nice. Is it an elected process? Yep. So all of the mastheads, so... Uh, or the overwhelming majority of the mastheads, so most of the editor positions as yeah. well as the editor-in-chief are elected. Okay, very mm -hmm. cool. So that's a really cool beginning story, and your first story made the front page, which is insane. It was crazy, and it, like, it wasn't like, it definitely was a fluke. You know, yeah. I thought it was going to be super easy, but, uh, you know, certainly uh, my like, career in student journalism have proved to me that, you know, overwhelmingly the big stories don't just fall into your lap and mm -hmm. you know you don't always write the front page story okay 
So how was your second story after that? I don't know. I think it was a pretty, I don't, can't remember what my second story was. It may have been a pretty dry piece about like alcohol policies at different colleges. I think that could have been it. Uh, And then I, you know, covered like UTSU elections, which was pretty fun. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it certainly was far less glamorous than than, uh, the start. Yeah. And was that sort of discouraging? No, not really. You know, it, it, even in my, my first year, I, I didn't really, you know, I wasn't writing for the, the varsity because it was, a, a, you know, a, a means to an end in terms of a career or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I really liked to write. Um, I was sort of interested in, you know, current affairs and what was going on on campus. And it just was a fun outlet. So I didn't really mind, you know, writing the occasional just like sort of policy oriented piece. It was it was something to do. And you know, also, I, you know just fun to you know write something that people read as well Mm -hmm. yeah for sure so now that you've been doing journalism for so long in university is it something that you see yourself doing after university yeah absolutely um i have a summer job in journalism coming up so oh cool um hopefully that turns into something more i certainly um, you know want to pursue a career in journalism that's cool can you speak about what your summer job is sure it's as a content editor at the globe and mail Wow, very cool. Yeah, I'm like super, super, super stoked. It's a summer contract and, you know, I, I hopefully will, you know, open, you know, um, doors in the future. That's very cool. So as the editor in chief, what does it mean to you to have this role and who are sort of your role models? It's an incredibly... Uh, you know, privileged position to have, you know, to be, uh, you know, running, you know, a small business, you know, medium-sized community newspaper at such a young age is, you know, terrifying, but it's so, so much fun. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you really see how much, um, you know, like the power of the platform itself and how much you can really shape, you know, the local discourse. And, you know, even some stories we write do make it, you know, onto the national radar. In terms of role models, I think I really have to sort of look at my predecessors in the role. So Jacob Lawrence uh, was the editor before me and Alex McKean uh, before him. And, you know, they really embody to me like what it means to be, uh, you know, a good editor in chief. Alex really ingrained in me the idea of the varsity as being, you know, a place that serves its contributors and members of staff. And, you know, yeah, we put out a newspaper. Yeah, we, um, you know, we, we publish breaking news and, you know, interesting, hopefully, commentary. But also so many people put so much effort into the newspaper itself that the institution yeah. definitely has to serve them and ensure that, you know, they get as much out of the experience as possible. So that, that's, I would, I would say, um, generally... At the varsity, I think we have a quite a good culture of sort of mentorship and you know, sort of fostering talent from people like as you know when they're starting out. Um, and I definitely look to uh, Jacob and Alex for you know, doing that with me. Do you have a favorite varsity piece that you've written or anyone else has written? Sure. So that I've written, um, I recently wrote this piece on Huawei. So the like Chinese. Um, telecommunications company. Yeah. This was like written before uh, Meng Wanzhou was arrested in Vancouver, um, which like set off the sort of current diplomatic strife between China and Canada. But I wrote this piece okay. about how um, like Huawei and the University of Toronto have this really big research partnership. And, you know, this company that's you know based in China, which is obviously an authoritarian regime, you know, is 
pouring money into research being done in Canadian public institutions um, and you know what sort of implications that might have uh, moving forward. But my favorite varsity pieces are definitely ones that I didn't write. There are way more talented writers than me at the newspaper. Um, I would definitely highlight this piece called uh, An Invisible Struggle, written by Ilya Banyares and Stephen Lee. It's about the experiences of homeless students at the university and sort of the unique struggle, um, obviously, that, that homeless students face. And speaking not only to homeless students, but some of the you know, support workers that interact with them. Mm -hmm. um, that's a, a really exceptionally uh, powerful piece. Yeah, it sounds like um, that sort of focuses on non, you know, non-mainstream students, like students who are sort of hidden and bringing light to those who sort of don't have a voice for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there can be a danger in journalism of falling into that cliche of like giving voice to the voiceless. Okay. And it's not really about like, you know, giving the voiceless or the marginalized a voice. Like, okay. you know, it's, it's, it's sort of about, you know, just, just providing a platform to tell, like, you know, Tell, tell stories that matter um, and providing a platform for people to tell their own stories. And yeah. um, I, hopefully I think that it accomplished that to that end. And I think it more broadly sort of underscores the importance of hyperlocal um, or campus journalism because um, you know, that's such an important story and no one else is going to tell it. I, I don't think the National Post or the Toronto Star are necessarily mm -hmm. going to you know, tell or even have access to the sort of sources um, that we that we did for a story like that and uh you know it's a story that we were uniquely positioned to write since it was more local to our university absolutely you know i mean how you know how would a reporter for a national newspaper you know go about finding homeless u of t students i think that's like a really you know difficult task and you know not mm -hmm. to say it was easy for us but we were lucky to sort of have connections to uh, people in those uh, communities that were able to put us in touch with homeless students that were you know, willing to speak to us about their experiences. So again, so we were, um, you know, uniquely positioned in this as members of the student community ourselves uh, to, to, you know, to give a platform to those stories. So it seems that the varsity somehow manages to have stories up super quickly once anything happens on campus. We try. <laughs> <laughs> how do you manage to source these events and information? Like, how are you always so quick to be reporting on these? Um, we have a phenomenal uh, news team. Josie Gao and Ilya Banyares, um, our news editors, you know, they are constantly watching um, to see what events are going on, what documents are being released. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're dealing with tipsters and people coming to speak to us. But I, I guess we have a really good um, sort of grasp of what's going on on campus generally and also what sort of stories to pay attention to. And, you know, that you know, generally breaks down to sort of three different categories. So there's policy documents. So we look into, as soon as documents from governing council go public, we're pouring through them. We're looking for, you know, new reports on university finances, you know, mm -hmm. new plans for academic units, um, you know, new, new policies like the university mandated leave of absence policy. Um, you know, we found in uh, a, a governing council document for the first time. You know, we also have people come to us and, you know, we certainly can't, you know, underplay the importance of, you know, tipsters and people who just approach us, you know, whether they want to, you know, talk on the record or, if you will, or off the record. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people come to us with stories and say, hey, you know, you should pay attention to this. And then, you know, as well, we, uh, you know, really keep our eyes on, you know, the events on campus to make sure that, um, you know, use that news judgment to to think like, okay, this event is happening. 
can we get someone there? And if we can get someone there, we can live tweet it. You know, we can get a breaking piece out that day, you know, hop on it as fast as possible. So talking about news judgment, um, how do you draw the line between what can be acceptable or unacceptable to report about? So if there are more sensitive topics that you want to report and who makes the last call on those? So ultimately, I make the last call and that does weigh very heavily on me. Um, but I look to a lot of people for you know, guidance uh, in, in making those judgments mm-hmm. with that question. I think in terms of what is acceptable to report on, there's sort of like two different categories of unacceptable, if you will. There's like hateful and then there's you know, sen- sensitive. So for instance, um, we have to be very careful reporting on suicide. Uh, mm-hmm. on campus yeah. that falls into that latter c- category of being you know highly sensitive subject yeah. um the media needs to be careful that you know it doesn't uh you know inspire contagion for instance yeah. if there you know it, it's been seen that you know reporting on suicide hyper locally can actually inspire more suicides and obviously right. we don't want that to happen so we think very carefully um when there are suicides on campus but how we're going to approach those stories mm. With respect to hate, um, you know, that's a really difficult one because on the one hand, you know, we will not give a platform to hateful speech, um, you know, without question. But specifically when it comes to news writing, there is, obvi- there is often, you know, a strong public interest in writing about um, unsavory topics, especially when they're so timely. You know, something that pops into my mind uh, last year, there were those posters all over campus that said, you know, it's okay to be white. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a, you know, a, quite a common uh, postering campaign uh, operationalized by white supremacists and white nationalists. You know, obviously that, that's super, super unsavory and it's hateful. And you know, by no means do we want to give that a platform. But at the same time, students are wondering, you know, what the hell are these signs? Mm-hmm. What are they doing? What do they mean? So you know, the other side of that is that we have a responsibility to explain it um, and to tell people what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and that really falls into the news category. Um, when it comes to stuff like opinion writing, it gets a little more cloudy. So for instance, you know, just because someone has a legitimate opinion, um, you know, even on an unsavory you know, subject, it, mm-hmm. you know, we don't always want uh, to, give, to give that a platform. We certainly look for there to be you know, timeliness elements to it. You know, we, we, we don't really want to entertain uh, you know, opinions that, that border on that sort of thing, unless there is, you know, an element of timeliness to it. And with sensitive topics um, about, you know, suicides and um, hate speech around campus, there's also that whole dimension of uh, whispers and gossip and sort of misinformation Mm -hmm. that goes around about those things. So do you take that into account when you're trying to figure out whether you should be reporting on something? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in the case of those posters, for instance, that was a, a huge element of why we felt it was really crucial that we report on what these posters are, you know, unabashedly explain what they mean. Mm-hmm. Um, because people are, you know, talking like, you know, oh, like, what do these mean? You know, people sort of were able to figure out that um, it was rooted in campaigns from 4chan. Um, but there, there is a lot of misinformation that goes around. For instance, there was a rumor that there were razor blades hidden behind those posters. Yeah, I heard that. Um, that, like, wasn't true as far as we were able to, to, to find. We, like, okay. checked a bunch of posters, that, you know, really did some sort of, like, on-the-ground reporting, you know, just checking for razor blades. And, yeah. you know, it... Despite the fact, again, that it's, it's an unsavory subject, that yeah. it gives a platform and amplifies um, ideas that are, you know, you know, 
you know, without question, hateful. It's important, mm-hmm. um, you know, as the newspaper of record and as the main news source uh, for the University of Toronto, we, you know, explain exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. We live in a society that can have some pretty divisive political opinions. How do you check your biases against your personal worldview? How do you exercise being neutral, not necessarily siding with one side or the other when it comes to publishing stories? There is sort of an uncomfortable truth, that is that there is no such thing as completely objective reporting. Um, this is you know, widely accepted by uh, the journalism community. You know, the biases, no matter how small, of the reporters and editors will make its way into content. Um, okay. But that being said, there is so much that we can do to mitigate that bias. So, for instance, um, especially in news reporting, we, uh, you know, ensure that our reporters don't have a conflict of interest with the story they're reporting on. Um, You know, we think very carefully about the idea of false balance. Um, So, you know, there's this idea that, you know, every story has to be balanced, that you have to tell, you know, if there's two sides to every story, you have to tell both sides. But false balance is when those sides are equated when, in reality you know, one of them, one side may not have any merit. So an example would be, you know, climate change. There are two sides to the climate change debate. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as a responsible, you know, media outlet, you know, you can't give false balance to climate change deniers, even though they make up a group of people who, you know, uh, feel very strongly about, uh, about that. Mm-hmm. So we also have a, a news comment divide. So none of uh, our writers can write for both the news section and the comment section. Um, that's done to ensure that you know the people who are supposed to be reporting objectively about the university administration, student issues, student unions aren't the same people that are you know criticizing, for instance, uh, those very same bodies in our opinion sections. For, for myself as the editor in chief, you know, I, I certainly think very carefully about my own personal biases when we're, you know, publishing pieces. You know, often I will ask, uh, you know, even though I make the final call, like I have such an amazing a group of people to ask for advice. My management team, a number of the you know members of Masthead that I will go to and you know sort of check with and say, mm-hmm. hey, you know, like, you know, what what do you think about this? And you know, at, at the end of the day, we want to be a platform for, for all voices. Um, and, you know, to that end, you know, to, to fulfill that mandate, we do have to be super careful about biases, of course. Mm-hmm. But so do you think that there is sort of an overarching leaning direction of the varsity? Sure. So, um our Wikipedia page says that we are, uh, you know, center left, I think. Um, And certainly, you know, if you look at the stance of our editorial board, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, the uh, section of the paper that, uh, you know, takes a stance on issues on behalf of the masthead, we certainly lean left. Um, We advocate for social justice uh, issues, um, you know, generally left-wing policies, but by no means are we exclusionary of, um, you know, voices other than that. Um, It's very clear that we are not an activist newspaper. Some Mm -hmm. newspapers, some student newspapers in Canada are, you know, part of their mandate is to advocate um, for social justice. But outside of our editorial section, which is where we sort of express our own opinions, um, we, uh, as per our governing documents, you know, do do provide a platform to differing and uh, divisive opinions. 
um, which can be a struggle occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a piece from one of our columnists, Sam Routley, on this. Um, you know, it is sometimes quite hard to find conservative students who want to write for us. Um, I think broadly conservative students sometimes feel isolated from student affairs on campus um, mm-hmm. for a whole host of reasons. And, uh, you know, we certainly want to have different voices in our opinion section. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that can be challenging sometimes when, you know, conservative students um, in particular, you know, don't necessarily, you know, um, take that step to, uh, to, to make their voices heard. But um, we absolutely do our best. And our comment editor, Ibn uh, Chowdhury, does a really a good job of ensuring that um, we have a diverse array, uh, range of voices in our comment section. So what do you think is the most challenging part of running a student newspaper? Definitely uh, work and school balance, I, uh, which has been a challenge at times this year. Um, I bombed a term test in December. Like, it was terrible. I got a 37% oh boy. on this test. Yeah. Sorry, mom. Uh, <laughs> uh, that is really challenging. I, I think... A lot of it comes down to the fact that um, it's a ton of responsibility, it's a ton of work mm-hmm. um, that I don't think anyone is ever fully prepared for. And it's certainly challenging to balance um, that workload and that responsibility with being a student. Yeah. The other thing that's a challenging uh, part of the job is making um, that differentiation where it, if and when it needs to be made between the varsity as, say, a student club or as a student, exper- student experience and, you know, a, a legitimate downtown Toronto publication. Um, you know, we try very hard to, you know, provide the very best experience that we can for our contributors and provide them professional development opportunities and a fun workspace and, you know, re- you know limit the amount of stress that they're put under. But at the same time, you know, we are a weekly newspaper and a daily online publication. And that comes with a lot of responsibility and often uh, a lot of stress. So um, are you uh, a full-time student while doing full-time editor-in-chief responsibilities? No, so I am a part-time student um, uh, at the moment. And uh, as editor-in-chief, that's a a full-time job. Okay, and historically, have editors-in-chiefs before you also done the same? Yeah, as, as far as I know, um, the overwhelming majority of uh, EICs have been uh, part-time students taking, you know, one or two courses. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I work you know, 40, 50 hours a week at, at minimum. Yeah, and weekly publications means it's a constant, constant. It's part of the fun, but it's also a big part of the struggle, right? It's like, <laughs> it's the, you know, news doesn't sleep. There's always something to do. There's always a story to look into. Yeah. Um, there's always uh, more you can be doing. So recently, um, the student unions banned student journalist coverage of events. Um, as far as I read about it, uh, you weren't allowed to be live tweeting from certain meetings. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, how it all began, and what implications this has for the varsity and also just student censorship in general? Sure. So um, we've had issues of access with uh, two student unions. It's been the Graduate Students Union and the Scarborough Campus Students Union. Okay. Um, right. So 
the graduate students union, which we're really just starting to cover this year because grad students are now part of our membership. So we have a mandate, obviously, to cover their student government. Um, we were at their AGM. Mm -hmm. uh, our reporters were. And the AGM is the annual general meeting of uh, the union. So that okay. was in uh, December. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there isn't an existing media policy at that union. So our reporter uh, was allowed into that meeting on the basis uh, that they not take photos and not live tweet, which certainly uh, goes against the norm for coverage of student unions and government more generally. Mm -hmm. um, so a reporter, after she was told that she couldn't live tweet, she got in touch with us, uh, with her editors, and, you know, we said, you know, do it. Um, what are they going to do? Kick you out? Okay. And they did, <laughs> you know, and I think that was the wrong uh, decision on, on, on their behalf. But, okay. you know, openly, I'll admit, like, we, we broke the rules that were prescribed. Um, so after the, the AGM then segued into what they call a general council meeting, um, and someone noticed that we had been live tweeting, so we were expelled from that, um, which is disappointing to say the least, uh, and I think an attack on freedom of the press. Um, the UTGSU, so that the Graduate Students Union is, uh, looks to be developing a media policy that uh, they will vote on on January 22nd, which really runs the gamut. Like, I, I, have, the, I have the options here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are three broad options. There's unconditional access, there's conditional access, and restricted access. So there is actually one option that is, um, you know, the media representatives will not be allowed into graduate student union meetings. And this is really concerning. You know, this is a group that uh, manages, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of student funds. On the other end of the spectrum, you know, I'm really hoping that they um, err on the side of, of access uh, and vote to allow us uh, uh, unconditional access to, to these meetings, allow us to take photos and live tweet and live stream as we see fit. So then separately, there was an issue with the Scarborough Campus Students Union, uh, it wasn't a singular event, but rather a motion uh, put forward and now a, a direction the union is moving in. Um, it, they're setting up a committee to review media accreditation to cover board meetings. Um, so effectively, the union will get to decide who can and can't cover um, these uh, student union meetings. And, you know, I think that you know, certainly the Graduate Students Union and Scarborough Campus Students Union doing this is a really upsetting uh, and disturbing trend. You know, barring uh, reporters from meetings, expelling them from meetings, and controlling their access, these are the attitudes of an authoritarian government, not, um, you know, an open and democratic student society. So I'm really hoping that, uh, you know, certainly that tide is reversed. Why do you think um, these like media policies were put in place to begin with at the UTGSU? Sure. So I think, um, and, uh, you know, to cut the GSU some slack, um, they haven't historically been covered by the media. There isn't a graduate student union newspaper. Um, okay. This is the first year that the varsity has been paying close attention to, the, to that student union. Okay. Um, so I think it's very understandable that they are reacting to that and looking to develop a media policy. Um, but certainly, as part of that process, it's important they remember, you know, the, the foundational sort of uh, importance of freedom of the press and that we be allowed to do the job um, that we're able to do. It's important to note that the Canadian Association of Journalists um, has, you know, 
called out both of these student unions for uh, these policies and has okay. urged U of T student unions um, to respect freedom of the press. Wow. Okay. So they're also involved in this, or they're aware of what's happening. Yeah, they're they're absolutely aware of it. You know, um, the varsity has you know close connections to the professional media industry uh, from coast to coast, and you know, journalists are aware that this is going on. And I think if this continues, it is likely to get uh, a lot more coverage. So just yesterday, the Ontario government announced that they'll be cutting university tuition costs by 10%, which means universities will have to figure out how to make up for that lost revenue. They also mentioned that student fees are no longer going to be mandatory. So what do you think this means for the varsity and other student, uh, student life clubs at U of T specifically? Well, I think it spells uh, trouble, you know, to, to, to say the least. So, yeah, the government is saying that non-essential student fees. So I think their definition of non-essential is, you know, not relating to uh, health and safety, uh, well-being, and sports teams, of course. Um, can't cut the sports teams. You know, non, so these quote-unquote non-essential student fees, students will be able to opt out of. And, uh, you know... That's certainly very concerning because student unions, student associations, and you know, campus media are reliant on student fees to be able to operate. And you know, for instance, uh, student unions are one of the core elements of students' organizing abilities, their abilities to advocate for themselves. And I think this uh, move certainly puts those unions, if they are deemed you know, non-essential, in, a, in jeopardy. Um, the University of Toronto will get to decide uh, it seems from the announcement what uh, student associations uh, and fees are or are not essential, which is problematic in the context of campus media because we're you know the main institution that keeps the uni- university administration accountable. Right. So the fact that they will be the ones to decide whether or not we're essential, you know, is uh, problematic. You know, if there were to be an opt-out option, and without really knowing what that mechanism would look like, um, it really could spell disaster for us, as well as campus media across the province. Uh Um, You know, we are a newspaper. We publish weekly. We get, you know, tons, we get 150,000 or so online views per month. We have high operational costs. And our business model is not flexible enough um, to accommodate, you know, quite like wide margins of students opting out. Mm-hmm. Um, so to think that on a semesterly basis, we may or may not be able to produce a newspaper is very, very concerning. So again, we're hopeful that the Ford government will recognize campus media as essential services, and if not, that the University of Toronto will. So if non-essential student fees become opt-out, that may compromise the varsity's funding. What do you think makes the varsity essential? Well, I think that the varsity is essential for a whole host of reasons. And, um, you know, as I think I've touched on, uh, you know, these reasons are both inward-facing and outward-facing. We provide an outlet for hundreds and hundreds of students every year to gain real, uh, you know, like professional skills in journalism. People who work at the varsity go on to work at some of the best media outlets across the country. Um, it's an it's a integral part of many students' experience on campus. Um, that's to only talk about the people who, who actually work there. Separately, we are really the, the, the main 
uh, news outlet for the University of Toronto. We are the people that keep everyone from student unions to the university administration accountable. And stories that we tell uh, are broadly important and often make their way into the national discourse. You know, I think recently, Josie Gao, our news editor, she reported on uh, executives in the Muslim Students Association receiving surprise visits from members of the RCMP and CSIS. Vice picked up that story. That became part of the national conversation. We were the ones who tracked the progress of the university-mandated leave of absence policy from start to finish. We covered all the student organizing that happened around that. You know, we've covered the extent of the university's offshore investments, which were implicated in the Paradise Papers leak and the problems that that may pose. Um, we were the people to break the story of Jordan Peterson. Um, you know, I think part of the danger of cutting campus media is actually a danger to the Canadian media landscape as a whole. Local, provincial, national news outlets look to campus media to find important stories at universities and colleges. You know, we are the ones with the closest connections to sources and stories that matter in the post-secondary sphere. And if we're not here to elevate those stories, to give those stories a platform, they won't get picked up by even bigger outlets. And I think, um, you know, when institutions are not held accountable and important stories about student success uh, and struggles are not told, everyone loses. So recently, the Varsity launched a business section. It's also recently become available in Chinese. And the Varsity video section just started four years ago. So with all these changes, what else is new on the horizon for the Varsity? Yeah, so we always try and do as much video content as possible. People love video. Mm -hmm. um, the Varsity Chinese launched last year. So um, it, it, in conjunction, we were approached by a, a Chinese uh, student group to, to sort of take on this project, which is now a permanent fixture uh, of our newspaper. So we translate uh, large parts of our, our, of our weekly stories into a simplified Chinese because there are a ton of Chinese uh, you know, speaking uh, students at the university who want to read our stories uh, in, in, uh, in that language. This year, there have been three main initiatives uh, we, we've taken on. The first is a, is a business section. So we're now, I think, one of only a very few uh, student newspapers in Canada to have a business section where we, we report on, uh, as well as university finances, you know, we're celebrating student startups, uh, following uh, you know, case competitions, student success, alumni success uh, in, in business. We've also launched our own podcasts, uh, so I'll give that a quick plug. You should check out uh, Bizarre and Unspoken. We have two podcasts uh, produced by the very talented uh, Blythe Hunter. Um, so that's new this year. And we also just recently launched a blog, so it's called The Squirrel. It's sort of our uh, approach to a BuzzFeed style of, of content production. You know, I think as a newspaper, sometimes we take ourselves way too seriously. Okay. And we think about content as being, you know, like what's fit to print. Uh, mm -hmm. And obviously there's a lot of really fun stories that, uh, you know, we wouldn't necessarily put in the newspaper, but people want to hear about. One that uh, comes to mind is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you know, the really spunky uh, U.S. representative from the Bronx. She clapped back at a U of T student on Twitter. Oh. Uh, and uh, we, like, we wrote about it, and it, like sort of went viral. Huffington Post picked it up. This was just within the last couple of days. So mm -hmm. I, I think that's certainly, um, you know, exciting to see where, you know, more student life, more like fun, uh, you know, fun, f more of a fun orientation, see where that goes. Um, in terms of what's to come, you know, I think the varsity is in a great position 
um, for expansion and experimentation. We have such a high turnover rate every year. You know, there's a new editor-in-chief every year that brings so many exciting uh, ideas to the table that, you know, I'm sure my successor will, will have something new as well. Uh, the Squirrel sounds like a lot of fun. I will definitely check that out. You should out. check it out, yeah. <laughs> so how can students get involved in the varsity if they would like to, in any capacity? Yeah, I mean, I think the magic of campus media and then, you know, like the varsity is that you can really do as much or as little as you want. You know, you could write a story every week, cover events, you know, take photos, become, you know, like an integral part of our community. And that would be awesome. You could also write just one story or, you know, do one illustration or come in volunteer designing, you know, one day. And you would, you know, you would be an equally valued member of our community. Uh, for students to get involved, they can go at thevarsity.ca. Uh, there should be a button at the top of the website that says work with us. There's a little form they can fill out, um, you know, indicating what sections or departments of the newspaper they're interested in getting involved in, whether it's doing stuff for web or taking photos or videos or designing or writing for art, science, sports, features, comment, or news, um, business as well. Um, they can also just contact any member of our masthead. Um, all of the contact information for our editors are listed on the website. And, you know, get in touch with anyone and they'll point you in the right direction. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been amazing learning more about you, the role of student journalism, and the varsity as a publication. It was great speaking to you, Adam.